and uh, Revelation chapter 4. And today, if you can picture the George Washington Bridge or the Verrazano and how it has these two kind of huge pillars and the suspension kind of hangs on these pillars. And as in, the, in the context of the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5 are like the, the pillars upon which the entire book hangs. And uh, so everything from what we've done so far to where we're going, as we're going to get a glimpse into heaven and see the throne of God, it's an incredible, incredible two, two chapters here. And so let's begin reading in chapter 4. And um, where John now moves to the next phase of this vision. He goes, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was a, had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Amen. All right, verse 1 and 2. A door opens into heaven. And John goes through it, verse 1. He sees the door, he goes through it, he says, come up here. And now he is given from that place in heaven 20-20 vision. He can see history, a sense of, now the rest of the book is going to flow out of this, and gets a clear, clear vantage point from which to see everything that's going on around him in that present first century day. And the first thing he sees is a throne, verse 2. He sees a throne in heaven. And in fact, the throne is a big theme of the book of Revelation. 47 times it's going to refer to a throne throughout the book of Revelation. And uh, he sees someone, it says in verse 2, someone is sitting on it. Now I want you to catch this. He doesn't say the name God. He just says someone's sitting on it. It was a very Jewish thing to do. Because for Jews, for thousands of years, had such a sense of the holiness and the majesty and the transcendence of God. They stood in such awe of God that they, they, didn't even, they did not even want to say God's name because they weren't worthy to say the name of God. So John picks up on that, and here he says, I see on a throne someone sitting on it. In fact, some of you may be familiar, there was a community of Jews called the Essenes in the first century, and some people believe that John the Baptist may have been an Essene. They lived in a desert, and they used to copy the manuscripts of the Old Testament. And every time they'd write a letter, now the Old Testament's a pretty big book, right? They'd write a letter, and because they were, they, were, they were touching something so holy, they would immediately go and they would do a mikvah. Remember we did a mikvah one Good Friday? It, it's a purification. And they'd go to these baskets and purify themselves. Then, he, then, they'd, then they'd come back and they'd do the next letter. Then they'd go and do another mikvah. They weren't worthy to consecrate themselves wholly to God. They'd wash themselves clean, go and write the third letter. Could you imagine the whole Old Testament? And if, let's say they made a mistake on the last book, of the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi, like they, 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 they you know, the line went out or, they, or they, they distorted a letter, they would discard the entire book and start all over again. Such was the reverence of the holiness and majesty of God for these Jews. In fact, some of you, we have, we have a number of Messianic Jews in our congregation here. And if you read some Messianic Jewish literature, even today, you'll notice they will not write the name God. They'll write G-D. Again, because of a sense of to even utter 
the name God. I'm not even worthy of that. So awesome and transcendent and mysterious and unfathomable and holy is God. Now, that's, that's a long way from us in America, you know, as God is our buddy. But that's where John's coming from when he says in verse 2, I looked in verse 2 and I saw a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Does not even use God's name. And uh, he's, John is saying, I'm not even worthy to say the name God. And then he goes on. He begins to describe it in verse 3. Now you'll notice, he's going to use the word, he's trying to describe this infinite reality with finite words. And so you're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, like, it was like this, it was as this, it was like this, because he, he can't like even get words to describe what he's seeing and what's going on. So he says, and the one who sat there, verse 3, had the appearance, okay, it was like, uh, you know, and again, you, you, you're going to paint a picture here. You want to try to experience the picture and drink it even before we analyze it. So we're going to hopefully do that as we move on there. Verse 3, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Now, jasper is not quite sure, but perhaps like a diamond, kind of a dull red or yellow. And then carnelian was a red stone, so this brilliant red light. And then around the throne, surrounding the throne were 24, I'm sorry, no, a rainbow resembling an em emerald encircled the throne. So you've got, you've got some diamondish type, dullish yellow red. You've got carnelian, this redstone light. You've got a rainbow resembling an er emerald, an emerald was green. And you've got all this, this light around the throne. And it's symbolic because what John's saying is he who dwells there, as it says in 1 Timothy, dwells in unapproachable light. And again, it's meant to communicate a bit of the awesomeness and majesty of him who sits on the throne. And then verse 24, verse 4, I'm sorry. Now, surrounding that throne were 24 other thrones. Now, actually, we, I told Peter, it'd be really nice to get these 24 thrones. And, uh, but we don't have time for that. But you'll see a throne in a few minutes. But surrounding that throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And so, again, throughout the book, we're going to meet these 24 elders. And... Uh, they're pictured, as we'll see here and later, they're constantly falling down and giving worship to this Lord God Almighty. And uh, there's lots of theories. Who are the 24 elders? Uh, many believe that they represent the 12 patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles, you know, the, old, you know, the people of God in both Old and New Testaments. Uh, again, we're not really sure. One thing we can be sure about, they are some exalted angelic beings in the heavenly realms that are worshiping God. And uh, they have white garments on, which, are, which speak of purity here in the book of Revelation. And they have golden crowns. I want you to catch this. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, most of us, when we think of golden crowns, if you have kids, you're thinking of the Burger King golden crowns, all right? Now, get that picture out of your mind. In fact, because literally, it says golden wreaths. And Stephanos is the Greek word. And it's the word used in uh, that when you won an Olympic Games, whether it was a running or you know the Olympic race, you received a, gold, a wreath, and it was a victor's wreath. So somehow these 24 exalted angelic beings had been victorious, and that's why many scholars believe they represent all of humanity that's believed in God and the Lord Jesus Christ all through history. They represent them, but they they've been victorious. They've got a victor's crown, and uh, uh, it's golden. Very important. This golden image because. In heaven, his fire has burned away all that's wood, hay, and stubble. All that's not of God has been burned away. And all that's left is that which is uh, eternal, that's imperishable. It's a golden stephanos, or a golden wreath, and you'll see they throw it down before God. And now in verse 5, from the throne come flash... you got to picture this throne scene now. From the throne come flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Now, can we hear a little thunder? Okay, thank you, all right. So beyond the light show, you've got the thunder now going. And uh, now, just as you taste it, now in Exodus 20, when, when God speaks, he speaks as thunder. And when they heard God speak in Exodus 20, in the Mount Sinai, the people were so afraid, they said, Moses, please, we don't want you to speak to us. We don't want God to speak to us. You speak to God. You speak for God to us. We'll hear you, but not God. It put such a fear in them. And it's supposed to put a sense of fear when we hear the voice of God. In fact, in Isaiah 6, when God speaks, it shakes the house, the doorpost of the temple. In fact, in Psalm 29, it says, the voice of the Lord thunders, like he's thundering here as he's going to speak, 
and it, think, of, think of an oak tree. It says he twists the oak tree, and it lays the forests bare. Remember Mount St. Helens when it exploded? I still got that picture in my mind of all, all the forests for, I don't know how many miles, just laid waste. That's the image given in Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord, when it thunders, when God speaks, it has that kind of effect. That's what John sees here. He goes, before the throne are these flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Verse 5. Before the throne, seven lamps are blazing. It's a menorah. Okay, remember the holy place in the Old Testament? And uh, these are the seven spirits of God. Again, seven is a, is a number for perfection in the, uh, throughout the book of Revelation in the Jewish scriptures. And uh, uh, the, his, God's perfect spirit, the Holy Spirit, is present there. I believe that's what it is. And, uh, but again, the seven is not, it's symbolic. It's not meant to be literal, as you'll see in a lot of things in, uh, in Revelation, are not meant to be literal, but symbolic. But you have these seven spirits, again, symbolic of the perfect spirits. And, uh, and then, just like Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Very interesting. There's a lot there. But there's this brilliant light there as well. Now, verse 6. I love this. And before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. Like a sea of glass, okay? Clear as crystal. And, and in every direction, you've got this vast, glorious, awesome, solid sea of, like, it's like glass. And uh, again, it's meant to communicate a sense of the splendor and the awesomeness and the majesty of our mighty God and how utterly separate God is from us, how utterly different he is from us. And John's seeing this. And then you've got this another inner circle of kind of like worship leaders. You've got the 24 thrones. Now we've got four others. Uh, in, the, in the center around the throne were four living creatures. And uh, one would look like a lion, one like an ox, one like a man, one like a, an eagle. And it's a very weird picture. And uh, just so you know, I mean, one commentator, for example, had 21 possibilities of who were these four living creatures. And then he gave his opinion, which was number 22. And uh, so who are the four living creatures? I have no idea. And uh, we, we just, what's obvious is that they are some exalted, again, order of angelic beings leading, you'll see later in, in the weeks to come, they're leading everybody in worship, including the 24 elders and all of humanity and all the creation. And uh, again, they seem to have the, as I think this is a, a good point, the strength of a lion, they've got the ability to serve as an ox, They've got the intelligence of a man, the swiftness of an eagle, and they represent all of those great qualities all coming together and something there in that. But without ceasing, it says, look at this, just without ceasing, day and night, verse 8, day and night, they never stop saying. So, so they, 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 they get this incredible picture of this. As they see and feast on the transcendence and awesomeness and majesty of God, they cannot but, but the, the forever cease to say, holy Holy, holy, you know, God, you are utterly separate. You are, you are awesome. God's, God is other than all of the universe, including them, as these exalted angelic beings. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. The, 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 it's used seven times in the book of Revelation. God is the Almighty, and who was and is and is to come. He is eternal, past, present, and future. Again, God is beyond us. We can't figure him out. We can't get our arms around him. He is, I like the word, his bigness, his massiveness. That's not a word, but it works. Is such that there is no other response but, oh, God, how awesome you are. And so then in verse 9, the living creatures, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders, they come and they fall down, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they take off their crowns. They lay their crowns. So they got their golden crown. They take it off and they lay it at the throne. And they say, and, and, they, and they prostrate themselves. You the word for worship is they, uh, they, they, they get on their you know, knees and, and your forehead's there to the ground like this. That's, that's the image there. They prostrate themselves in worship. And they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. That is the climax of the chapter, verse 11. When they say, for you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. Now, why does Revelation give us this picture? And uh, why is this in here? And again, well, now we're back to the context in which the book was written. Because this book was written in the first century to seven churches, remember? That were in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. Seven real live churches in cities like Ephesus and Smyrna and Laodicea. And these churches in Asia Minor were under enormous persecution from the Roman 
Caesar of that day, which was probably Domitian, maybe Nero, but nonetheless, both inflicted a tremendous persecution. But Domitian, as many believe, really went after the Christians. And the Roman Empire at that time was the greatest civilization the world had ever known. And uh, they had taken Greek culture, and they had imposed a civilization on the known world at that time of art and sports and uh, 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 scholarship and education, athletics and religion. Totally, they had taken over the culture, and they were imposing Greco-Roman culture of the known world. And uh, the book of Revelation pictures them as a beast, or as a harlot, a prostitute, Babylon the harlot. And John the Apostle is writing a letter to Christians under the heel of the Roman Empire. And he is countering the Roman view of the world. And uh, because the Romans believed that their, their Caesar, their emperor, was a god on the earth. And, uh, and that the Caesar, in this case Domitian, should be acknowledged as divine, as godlike. And so many of the Caesars did believe that they literally were gods on the earth. And so there are inscriptions that you, they found in archaeology in that time, they think that say things like, may there be glory and honor to Augustus Caesar. The same words used here. And words like sovereign lord, referring to you know, the emperor Domitian. Or things like, they would say, you are worthy to receive honor and glory, O Caesar. And so again, this is in the literature of the day. And so at the time when this book was written, the cult of emperor worship was in full swing because it went through seasons in the first 300 years. But at this time when this book was written, it was in full swing calling people to worship the emperor. And so again, Domitian at this time, uh, which was about 90 AD, he even had his wife and children call him my Lord and God. And uh, he believed he was the king of kings, the king of the gods, even over Zeus, who was the great god. And if you remember, Ephesus, one of the cities that we mentioned here in earlier weeks, was actually, he declared that city the center of emperor worship, even over Rome. And uh, again, Asia Minor was extremely wealthy. And so what in, they've, they've got these statues. They, he constructed the largest statue in, in, on the earth at that time to himself in Ephesus. And again, the way the city is located is it was, it, he put the statue in a place where if you were traveling by sea or land, you saw his statue, kind of like seeing the Statue of Liberty, if that was the only way to come into New York City. And again, to Domitian, and behind that statue was a massive temple for worship to himself. And, uh, and all around the statue to him, sorry, there, there was p- these pillars, of, and there was all the other Roman gods and Greek gods that were bowing to him as the one worthy of worship. Now, once a year, and... Many scholars believe this once-a-year parade that took place took place on his birthday. And this once-a-year parade uh, would start in the center of the city, and it would go uh, you know, through, through a certain route, and along the way there were altars and to Domitian as God and king. And they would stop the parade, the, the, uh, the politicians and the, um, you know, the dignitaries of that time, and the guards, they would come and they would stop and they would fall prostrate, in the word for worship, they would fall prostrate and they would worship. And they would burn incense before the god Domitian. Now, now understand the crowd would have to stop and, and prostrate, themselves, prostrate themselves. Now, to understand what that would be like, I, I, need, let me, let me, I need a volunteer here. Can I have a volunteer? I need a volunteer. All right, Merrill, you're a volunteer. Now, wait, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. First, I'm sorry, just first floor. Second floor, balcony, you can stay where you are. See, I knew that seat was beneficial, huh? You can stay right where you are. Now, we're on the, now just try to imagine, we're the parade, okay? And um, pretend we're all in the parade, we're part of the procession. We're moving along there, we get to an altar, okay? And now it is time to bow down and say, oh, my Lord and God, and burn incense to, uh, to Domitian, the, the Caesar, the God. Now I want everybody to sit down except for Meryl. Where is she? Meryl. Oh, no, stay right there. Stay in your seat. So Meryl's standing up. Now, what are we going to do about Merrill? Well, it doesn't feel very good to be standing up alone, but she's going to be crucified. And then, in the morning, when you take your kids to school, you go to work, in the center of the city, we're going to see Merrill on a cross. And when your kids say, what happened to her? And you're going to say, well, you know, she didn't bow down and worship Domitian as God yesterday. And they'll get the message clear as day. 
just to get a feel of the pressure here. Now understand, if you're a parent, your children are in school, and instead of doing the Pledge of Allegiance, they're pledging to the mission as God, and that's what they're learning in school. And, you know, they go to the baseball game, they're pledge allegiance to him. I use it down. Thank you. Thank you for our loyal, non-worshipping idolater here. Good. Good job. All right. But this is what life was like in Asia Minor. And so you'll read in chapter 5, they burn some incense as well to God. I mean, the prayers of the saints is considered incense. Because incense burning was symbolic of acknowledgement to, to a God. And so also when you came to a marketplace into the city, say of Ephesus, there was, there was a marketplace called the Agora. And uh, kind of like, imagine doing business like in Wall Street. And you come to New York City to do business. You've got to pass through Wall Street first. And you've got to burn incense to the God before you can go about your business. And that's what it was like then. And uh, you had to offer incense to Caesar. And if you didn't offer incense to Caesar, you could not do business in Asia Minor. And if you refused, so no incense to Caesar in the marketplace before you go out your business? N no business. Think about that for a minute. And if you persist, you too will be crucified. And make no bones about it, the Romans were famous. I mean, they crucified 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 zealots in one shot. I mean, they didn't have any qualms about crucifying half a town that was disobedient. And uh, so John sees a throne in chapter 4. He sees a throne, and Domitian's not on it. He sees God on the throne, and glory and honor is to him. And the word is, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, power, and praise. Not Domitian, not any Caesar, not any Roman emperor or Roman empire. And the will of God is the ultimate power in the universe. You are, I love when he says, you created all things, verse 11. And by your will, you made everything by, for your pleasure or by your will. And they have, you sustain it all by the word of your breath. And in fact, every breath we're taking here is because God Almighty on the throne gives it to us. And, uh, and so, despite any resistance going on from the empire, this is the truth. Now, we're going to try to read this as it was meant to be read, all right? Because, again, this was not meant to be like taken apart piece by piece. It was meant to be experienced. John was trying to take his readers who were under this incredible pressure into an experience of God Almighty on the throne of worship and of what reality really is. And so I want you to put yourself in the picture for a minute of Revelation 4. Try to be there. So we're going to help you. So we're going to take the shades down, all right? And we're going to dim the lights. Okay, good. And again, I want you to get the scene. Glory, when it says in verse 11, you are worthy, my Lord and God, uh, that's, that's what was normally said to, to Domitian. You are worthy, our Lord and God. But that's not what's going on. Either. Domitian's not on the throne. God's on the throne. And uh, so let's, uh, let's open the curtain. And we'll have a throne. And what I want you to do, I want everybody to stand with me for a minute, okay? And let's put the overhead up. And what we're going to do is, we are going to stand, and we are going to, as well, we're going to worship the one who's on the throne is not anybody else but the Lord God Almighty. And we are going to join with the 24 elders, if they represent all of humanity, the four living creatures, and we too are going to declare in the midst of our, in a sense, it looks like we're nothing, that the Lord is worthy of glory, honor, power, and praise. So, are we ready? Mr. Louie back there. And I'm going to invite you to join with me. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. For you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. For you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being.
Amen. All right, please be seated. So imagine if you're living in the city of Ephesus. You put the lights on. And you get this letter. And God's saying, I know where you live. I know the pressure you're under. But the doors open into heaven. And I want you to see reality. There's a throne. And only God's on that throne. Nobody else. And the world may think that Caesar's king or Nero's king, but they're not. God is king. And, and to give you endurance and pressure, they're not bound on to anything but the Lord God. That God's the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. He's the beginning of history. He's the end of history. He's the sustainer of history. He is the Lord God, and there is no one like him. So don't bow down. Now, I love the word, he's the Lord God Almighty, verse 8. That seven times in the book, it's a great theme. And what that means is God is the one in actual control of all events, of all of history. He is the Almighty, the Lord Almighty. He has complete control of everything. Now understand, you may have seen your friend crucified yesterday. But he goes, I want you to know I'm the Lord Almighty. Now, remember the book of Revelation is written to two groups of people. And here's the two applications, all right, today. And there's two audiences. The first is he's writing to those who are suffering. Those who are suffering to give them hope. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, if, if he's the Lord God Almighty, has actual control over all physical events, and, and, and that's the true reality. In the end, that's going to prevail on earth. And so if you are suffering today, if you are in pain today, if you're saying, oh, gosh, I lost my job, you're experienced a terrible injustice, or your child's out of control, or, or you didn't get into that school or that job, or your marital marriage is in a great deal of pain, or you're crying out in prayer and your prayer's not being answered, or the way you're going just seems to constantly be blocked, or things like us, this Elks building, when, oh God, will this thing end? And, uh, and remember that, I, in the first message, I mentioned this German theologian who wrote a commentary on uh, Revelation while in a concentration camp in World War II. And he said that the only people that should read Revelation are those who are suffering. Because then you'll understand that the images, of, the images in this book are meant to be experienced and felt, not to be analyzed for all these tricky schemes for the end of time. And it was a great word. And uh, if, you're, if you're disoriented today, this should be like a Scrooge. Remember Scrooge, like his eyes were opened? Like the zipper of life is open. This is reality! This is really reality! The rest of it's an illusion. And... Uh, I love it. He says, the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to is to come. God is who was. God's infinitely in the past. From the beginning, it's infinitely way back there. It's infinitely in the future. He was, he is, and he is to come. And uh, God is beyond us. We cannot figure him out. His massiveness is such, we can't get our arms around him. You will spend eternity and you will not get your arms around the massiveness and the bigness of God. And so you can relax that he's in complete control. And he alone is on the throne. And that's why people are getting all nervous about demons. And, and yeah, demons are powerful, but don't even compare them to the one who sits on the throne. And God is too big. And so what you do, the only response, you fall down. Because he's so other. Even if you don't understand what he's doing, which is the, obviously, could you imagine for these folks... Meryl's in the parade? Why did God do it? Say she's a mother, she's got small children. God, why are you doing it this way that she ends up crucified in the middle of the marketplace tomorrow? And the Lord says, I'm on the throne, don't bow down. Because if you don't see a throne, you won't do it. And it's meant to give a blazing hope. You know, perseverance does not mean, oh, I'm bearing with kind of this passive resignation. The word perseverance, it's a great word in the New Testament, it means to live with a blazing hope. It's a blazing hope. Like, yeah, I'm God. I don't know what's going on. Like Job, I don't know what's happening. But I've got blazing hope that God's on the throne. And he's building a kingdom. I don't, I don't understand. I don't get I don't know why. I don't know. But he's on the throne. All right, that's the first application. Now, the second is, is, is this book is written for the compromising persons. Person, and a lot of folks in Revelation were compromising. Last week's message on Laodicea. If you missed last week, you've got to get that tape. And this is written for the compromisers because the question is, what are you bowing down to? And what do you worship? What are you burning incense to? And why? And then what's it going to cost you to stop burning incense to that and stop bowing down and worship the true and living God who's on the throne? 
So again, the word proskuneo, which is the word for worship, I love it, they, and they lay their crown, is the word for, it's an inferior to a superior. The word, it's, it's a word, the word for worship is used as a, as a greeting. You know, how you doing? It was one level. Another greeting was, um, you know, kind of like we bow in many Asian cultures. You meet someone who's kind of, you know, a teacher to a student or to a boss to an employee or to a parent to a child, elder to a young person. You kind of bow down in respect. That's the word. But this word, proskuneo, in this case is used for, it's bowing down. Again, it's like you're bowing down like this. As, in, as the person to whom you're before is so utterly different than you. It's another reality. And so you recognize he is superior to you. That's the word used here for worship. And the point is the worship that belongs to God is going to the beast right now. And what John is doing here is he, this book is meant to prophetically cut through what true worship and false worship is. And he's saying that you're worshiping and bowing down to the wrong thing. Now again, the Roman Empire, you've got to understand that the, the, the power of evil masquerades itself like it's got ultimate authority and power. And the Roman Empire, people love the Roman Empire. I mean, Pax Romana, they, they gave the world, they, they, actually in Revelation, it refers to Rome has, the culture of Rome has intoxicated the nations because it has given peace, security, and prosperity. And people loved it. There was security in the borders, there was peace, and there was tremendous wealth unleashed for the whole empire. And it was dazzling. And Rome was seen as the eternal city. Remember, the eternal city was Rome. It's eternal. It would never pass away. And uh, so you can imagine for, you know, when it's, when it's your job, let's say you go to work tomorrow, it's your job to lie tomorrow. It's your job to lie. What are you going to do? Don't bow down. God's on the throne. What's going to happen? Don't compromise. Don't bow down. Be faithful. You know, do his will. Or, you know, our youth are downstairs in their youth. I thought about youth. You know, as youth kind of grow up, and at young adulthood, you're kind of breaking away from your parents. The pressure of parents, you want to be your own person. But then for most young people, they do what their friends want to do. The pressure of peers. They just transfer from parent pressure to, to friend pressure. And they bow down to clothing or, you know, career or money, whatever it might be, you know. And, and uh, so, so your friends want you to go away. That's not, it's not God's way. You just don't bow down. God's on the throne. They're not on the throne. It's a false power. You know, about, you know and, and for, for other people, when you struggle with what people think, and you're so, what they think is so important to you, God says, don't bow down to that. I'm on the throne, not them. And so maybe, again, even in a marriage, you know, having the courage to speak the truth. Don't worry, your spouse is not on the throne. God's on the throne. You know, do it lovingly and respectfully. Again, back to families and our cultures we all come from. You know, we love and respect our cultures. And, and but the Bible is very clear. Anyone who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. They're not on the throne. God's on the throne. And so even my culture, my family, I put under the lordship of Jesus. Nothing's to share. You know, serving with our, my gifts. Oh, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? No, God's on the throne. Don't worry. You can step out. God's grace is good, you know. And again, some of us are, are maintaining a relationship with another person that's, it's just sick. And God says, don't get in bondage. Don't burn incense that I'm on the throne. I mean, I can go on. How about, you know, education? You've got to get an A. you got to get an A. Got to... No, you don't. You've got to worship and serve God with what he's given you. God's on the throne. Not a professor or an academy or an cl elite club. It's not, comfort's not on the throne. Convenience is not on the throne. Safety can't be on the throne. These things drive our culture. Making money is not on the throne. God's on the throne. Advancing your career is not on the throne. God's on the throne. The way you do life, how do you do life? Do you realize what it would cost to, to have God on the throne when he wrote this? To enter into this letter and say, yes! I mean, again, I can't help but think of the Amish and the, um, uh, the Hasidic communities. They do have something about the radical life that's called, if we're going to worship the true and living God in the midst of our culture. And I'm not saying we should be Amish. I might buy a hat or a horse and buggy. But you have to get it that even during Jesus' day, it was understood that the entire culture was pagan. And that the way you do life has got to be utterly different. That's why these disciplines of Sabbath-keeping, of worship, of the Word, of solitude and prayer, of giving financially, these disciplines of the Christian life, they are radical statements to a culture that says, don't do it, it's a waste of time! God's not on the throne, but our politics... Our technology, our educational system, our economic system lives as if God doesn't even exist. As if they're on the throne. And John walks and says, no, I've been to heaven. God's on the throne. 
Don't bow down to anything but the Lord God of Israel. And so for being faithful, you got to hear this, for being faithful to not bow down, that's why this thing had to grab them, they were going to suffer. It was going to cost them to not bow down. That means your kid may not get into the best school. Oh my gosh! We can't even imagine the kind of a cost these folks were talking about. But unless you see him who sits on the throne, you'll just, you'll make a Christianity that's American. And it just fits in beautiful. And that's who the book of Revelation is written to. It says, don't buy into the masquerade of power and the lies of the beast because in the end, it's all going to be judged. And this is true reality that will live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And he puts Rome and all of their pretensions in perspective that her unjust rule will not last indefinitely. Judgment will come. No human being is on the center. Only God is on that throne. And so if you're on that throne, get off. Because it's an illusion that anyone can be on that throne because God is on it. All right, amen. All right, I want the worship team to come on forward. Let's all stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And there are times that there are no words to express what is true. And Father, we've had a little taste this morning of your awesomeness, your transcendence, your power, your majesty, your infiniteness, your glory, that you alone, Lord, are on the throne. And we bless you. And so, let us worship together. Let us sing to the Lord together. Just enter into that throne room acknowledging the Lord is holy.
right, I want the prayer team to come forward. And uh, that's Drew to share a couple words here. I don't bow to nature, I don't bow to any person, I don't bow to any of these things. 
the creator God who came and gave himself for me to die on the cross to pay for my sin that I can trust him and have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Amen. I'd like to read you just about it. Let me close the box.